0: It would help if I wasn't doing stomach farts, which is a concept that I had to explain to Chris. What well, I stomach farts.
1: I like that. I like that. <laughs> it's just <laughs> the gurgles. Just farts that are
0: moving around inside oh, you. Oh, the little like things.
1: <laughs>
2: yep.
0: User error 49. I'm Joe. I'm Alan. I'm Dan. And I'm Chris. Ah, yes. Chris, you're joining us this week, and we'll get to why you're joining us in a bit. But first, let's start off with a hashtag AskError. And remember, you can ask us questions on Twitter or Telegram or wherever, really, email even. Hashtag AskError. So the first question is, what is the best movie that you've ever seen once? So, Chris, you're going to have some time to think about this. I have warned the other two. So, Poppy, what's the best movie you've ever seen but only ever once? I'm glad you warned me of this because last week at the Sprint, in uh, Brussels,
2: I asked everyone else this in bars and it actually triggered some great conversations and uh, discussions of what you could count or what you couldn't count, but I didn't tell anyone what my one was. Uh, mine is Dr. Zhivago, ah. which was made in 1965, and it's over three hours long. And the reason I like it is because it evokes good memories. It's a great film, um from what I remember, because the last time I – well, the only time I saw it was in 2003 – um, and I watched it while I was on holiday with my wife, who was pregnant with our first child. So that's how long ago it was, 15 years ago, and, uh, my in-laws. It was the first time we took them on holiday abroad and, uh, all the women folk went to bed and I sat up late and on, uh, Spanish TV in Fuerteventura, there was, uh, Dr. Zhivago. So me and father-in-law sat there with beer and watched that for three hours late into the evening. So. There's, it's it's more the memory that it evokes but the film itself is great it's got Alec Guinness and Omar Sharif and uh, loads of other famous people it's really good, you should watch it
0: yeah it's a good movie and I've only seen that once as well so that could have been mine mm. I've actually
2: bought the DVD but I, it's sat on a shelf still in the wrapper and I've never never watched it again
0: uh, but I should do it at some point uh, but then you won't be able to say that anymore well I don't need to because I've said it
2: now it's on
3: record
0: <laughs> 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 alright Dan what's your one then?
3: Uh, man, I feel like I can't follow up that. I was racking my brain thinking about it because it's either got to be something fairly recent that's not that great or it's got to be something like really weird that for some reason I don't know why I didn't watch it again. So I was thinking, oh, you know, either uh, one of these new Marvel movies, right? Or, um you know, I think I only saw Ant-Man once and I really enjoyed that one. It had a lot of good jokes. Um But then I was thinking of maybe something like, uh, they live or the postman or like, you know, something a little, a little older or like, uh, Westworld,
1: even the, uh, the original movie, not the TV show. You know, that makes me think of, I have an admission. I, this isn't my answer, but I went and saw Waterworld, that Kevin Costner movie in the theaters. And I walked out of that thinking, all right, job done. I enjoyed that, especially that part where he swims <laughs> down. And I thought, that's a great movie. And I walk out of the theater thinking to myself, I sure enjoy that Kevin Costner. And then I had to listen to the rest of the world tell me what a horrible movie that is. So I've never watched it again because I didn't want to ruin my opinion of it. Oh, uh, uh, no, I love that movie. <laughs> good, good. See, that's uh, yeah. sometimes— Yeah, I've seen it more than once, though. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I, think I should rewatch it. I also—I'll tell you mine. The one that I have never gone back and watched again— for different reasons, is the Dark Knight, the 2008 Dark Knight movie. Because I went and I saw that in IMAX, and it was so incredible on IMAX, and I thought to myself, I'm going to get a Blu-ray player, and I'm going to get my sound system set up, and I'm going to watch this at home. And I so I I got the Blu-ray player, and I got the Blu-ray of the Dark Knight, but I never finished the sound system, so I never watched it again. Oh, no. And you're calm now. Well, I, or I like I have to wait till I build the perfect sound systems at some point in some random time in the future, and then that'll be the movie I watch. That might be the way I go too. But I remember it was really good. That that's probably like the greatest movie
3: you've only ever seen once that you could possibly have. I don't I don't think anybody could beat only
1: ever watching The Dark Knight once. Yeah, it's funny because I've I rewatched the other Nolan ones, but just not The Dark Knight.
2: <laughs> so when we were discussing this in bars in Brussels. I I gave the criteria that it can't be something recent because it Ah. it falls into the category of something you will have only seen once by virtue of it being in the cinema and you're not going to want to watch it again too soon after you've seen it the first time, right? So I kind of said, well, it can't be anything in the last 10 years and you're just scraping through then.
0: Uh, No, I don't know about that. I think it's got to be available. I've got to be able to watch it right now. If I said, right, fuck you guys, I'm pressing stop. I'm going to get it off (laughs) Amazon, iTunes, Netflix, whatever. You have to be able to watch it right now. That's the only rule, I think.
2: That's true of any film. Like, it's all popcorn time. You can watch any film anytime. Like, (laughs) (laughs) okay, legally, legally. right. So, I, when we were chatting about this, some others came up. Dark City was one that I'd forgotten, I'd only watched once. And, and, um, uh, Goodwill Hunting and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. i would only seen it all of those once, and now I yep. want to go back and watch all of these. That's what this has triggered. <laughs> I now, I now feel urged to go and watch these films again.
1: Yeah, the the Eternal Darkness one was uh, was going to be my number two. That's one I've only watched once, but uh, again, thought it was a pretty decent movie. It's a very heady movie, but thought it was pretty decent. But I just never got back around to watching it.
0: Well, my one is a bit of a cheat because it is pretty recent, but you can watch it now if you want to and that is Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri which is such a brilliant mix of comedy, tragedy um, and great story slightly let down by the end I thought but um, otherwise an amazing movie I feel uncultured I've never
1: heard of it neither have I I'm neither. looking it up right now actually like <laughs> want Oscars and stuff man honestly jeez Joe you're so cultured I should have known
3: <laughs>
0: so I've got a question for you guys Is Linux on Windows the real future of Linux on the desktop? Because now we've got um, your lot, Popey, making Ubuntu VMs really easy uh, with the Hyper-V thing, Um, and then the subsystem is going strong as well with uh, new distros popping up all the time. There just seems to be less and less reason for anyone to actually run Linux on a proper desktop when they can just run it on Windows. Now, Dan, you don't want to hear this, and Popey, you don't want to hear this. None of us want to hear it, but Is that the truth? No.
3: Uh, I don't really think so. Um, I feel like if your entire reason and goal for using Linux is to just use like the terminal and developer tools that you can use through terminal, maybe, you know, for those subset of users, sure. But I think that especially like, for elementary, that's not like the set of users that we target. No, you target people who want to buy a Mac but can't afford it. Ha <laughs> no, not really. Uh I think over half of our downloads right now are Windows users, but uh we do have uh something like twenty something percent of Mac OS users are downloading. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, it's a completely different market, isn't it? People who like care about freedom and privacy and stuff, but it's it's not so much converting people back from Linux. It's just that all this ease of use of Linux tools on Windows is going to prevent people from moving over to Linux on the desktop in the first place. And without new people coming in, then eventually the the number of Linux users is going to dwindle. I don't know. I think
2: it's difficult to and a mistake to. Try and second guess why people run particular operating systems. I mean, we can make broad brush statements that, you know, certain people need, um, OS 10, for example, if they're a iOS developer or a Mac developer, that's just a foregone conclusion because the tools are only available there. Um, and some people who want AAA games and the highest frame rate and latest availability of the greatest games probably run Windows, right? Um, or we'll use an Xbox or a PlayStation. Um, Linux is, is, difficult because the reasons people use it are wide and varied it's not just i'm a freedom lover therefore i use linux it's it like some people just prefer it some people just want to use it because they like the ability to customize it or they like the fact that they can get access to the source code for all the stuff that's on their machine or um, maybe they just like the experience and And enjoy it more than using OS 10 or more than using Windows 10. Um, so I think it's a bit difficult and it's not one of those things where we can just, you know, broadly say people use it for this reason. And because people use it for different reasons, it's very difficult to just say, well, Windows will just wipe all of those people out because, you know, some of those people. Like the, the target for WSL, for example, is very much those people who are locked into the Windows ecosystem through their work, but want to have access to cool developer tools. And so they use, um, WSL and use Bash or Ubuntu on Windows. That's the target demographic, and that's very well known that those people are the kinds of people who are going to want to use that. Hyper-V is a very different demographic of people who just want to spin up a, a Linux machine and maybe only want to have it open for, for minutes or a couple of hours where they do some work in there and then shut it down and carry on with doing what their, their normal work is. But people who want to run Linux on a daily basis are going to run Linux. They're going to run, whether it's Ubuntu, Linux Mint, Elementary or whatever, they're gonna wipe the machine and put Linux on it, and what reason they use? Hmm, that's different.
1: That's hard to tell. Yeah, I would give a lot of consideration to the experience reason. Um, I just had a refresher of how awful Windows 10 is for me. I know lots of people. You, know, you can look at the stats of our shows. Lots of people like to use Windows, but I took that when I took that T480 Lenovo ThinkPad out of the box. And I booted it up and I just thought, I'll log into Windows and see if there's any like Lenovo firmware updates or something that I could just do under Windows. It was an excruciating 15 minutes. My first experiences where it prompts me to create Microsoft Live accounts and sync them to my my Windows 10 machine, plus the fact that when I finally got to the desktop, it kicked off a Windows Defender update and scan in the background, while also giving me pop-up messages about things I could try and prompts for Windows Update and my machine. My immediate experience with my ThinkPad T480 was it was completely pegged out. My CPU fans were blasting. I I did control-delete, and what I got was a baby task manager that was completely worthless and I had to click another button to actually be able to see the information I needed to manage my processes. It's such a mishmash of UI, and it's random what you get when you search. So if you search for Windows Update in the Start menu you're not necessarily going to get the Windows Update Control Panel. You'll get random settings or things that are completely unrelated. It boggles the mind, the suggestions it gives you. And they there some of these things that it takes you to are three menus or three layers deep of settings. It makes Plasma's configuration panels look simple and easy.
2: There's a few things to unpack there, though, like... I think you're coming from a tarnished point of view. If I look at my 12-year-old son or my wife, who are both using Windows 10 on their machines, they don't have any of these problems. Um, like Um They may have other problems, but they generally just get on and use it. I've noticed the problems that my wife has are application problems, problems with Chrome or problems with Thunderbird. They're not problems with the OS. It just works for her. And the same goes for Sam. And your point about this whole first-run experience of um, having these pop-ups and stuff – when you measure that over the entire lifetime of that laptop, if you kept windows on there, that's an Im- a vanishingly small amount of time. Like that's, that's the true, f- but it's your first experience, which is a bad thing. But the good thing is it'll be over soon. Don't you worry. You'll be back on your feet soon. And you know, that, that wound will be healed and you'll be just, and from the update point of view, um, you're not supposed to care. You're not supposed to go and look at the updates because they happen in the background. Like, why would you care that there was a thing on the menu called updates? Because normal users don't actually install updates. There's a well-known statistic that users just don't install them, which is the whole reason why yeah. OS developers and app developers are all trying to make it all automatic, because otherwise you end up with people on out-of-date, insecure um, systems.
1: It very much feels like the 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 areas of Windows 10 that average users will most interact with are the spots that Microsoft spent the time on modernizing. And then when you go into the weeds, the areas that are less commonly accessed by average users, it starts to be just a convoluted mess and a a mix Mm. of UIs. Yeah, I agree with that.
0: Yeah, like trying to get to adjust for best performance, for example. (laughs) That used to be quite straightforward. Now you have to go in about three or four menus deep to get it. And it's it's weirdly plain. Like when you look at some of these settings dialogues, there's
2: like a few hairy big buttons next to each other, and then there's some text, and then there's some things that look like hyperlinks, but actually they're not. They take you to another panel. And it's it, I agree that the UI is very weird and unfinished, but that's the nature of this rolling release of Windows. They can they can adjust that over time. It's not like a you know, uh, Windows NT or Windows 2000, where that UI is fixed for the lifetime of the OS. This is this is going to change, and I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they'll get to that, and it will improve over
1: time. That would be impressive if they actually do deliver on that. I think where I was going wasn't wasn't to bash on Windows 10, although it's fun. Uh, it's more to point out that I think there is a there is a larger and larger group of users that do notice that stuff, and it's that kind of experience thing that pushes them over to other operating systems. I think WSL and things like Ubuntu for Hyper-V are really going to be best for what we call on Coda Radio the dark matter developers, the developers that are, or 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 anybody in IT that are using Windows 10 because that's what's deployed at the corporate level. You know, There's even folks at Dell that are working on Linux systems that they have an Ubuntu machine on their desk. and then because it's corporate policy, they also have a Windows machine on their on their desk. Uh, and that's just how it is there. And there's that's not uncommon. And for those people, they're getting access to a tool set that they've probably been in some in some instances, really eager to have access to. And it does have limitations. It does I mean, that's that's what that's what WS Linux is all really about is, trying to address some of those limitations. It has inherent limitations. It's still not a complete solution. I think the real competition that I'm surprised nobody's mentioned yet is Chromebooks. Because Chromebooks are Linux, and now they've pushed out Linux apps to more Chromebook machines where you can actually run desktop Linux applications. They've recently added Samba server browsing in their file manager, and, then, and they're very price competitive And there's a pretty big group of users that I think Chromebooks would serve very well for. It might not be dark matter developers and IT folks, but it just might be almost every other average user out there. Down the road, I think Chromebooks are going to be one of the most competitive devices. If you look at how they've taken over a couple of sectors so far, like they've just completely run away with education. Totally have snatched that away from Apple here in the States. Apple used to have massive presence in our elementary schools in our public schools in general high schools as well, and Chromebooks have come in in a way that Apple could never have dreamed of. When, when my kids, who are in elementary school, when they go to class, they get assigned a Chromebook. They have a Chromebook in, like, second and third grade. It's, it boggles the mind.
2: The flip side over here, I've never seen a Chromebook in a school, and my son gets his uh, iPad from school. Hand it out to him tomorrow.
1: <laughs> Apple wishes that that just they they did initially get some traction with the iPads here, but then the Chromebooks came in and steamrolled them. I think there is a pretty good argument for a lot of data worker stations, secretaries, administrative staff. They don't really need a Windows 10 PC. And the Chromebooks are getting better with centralized management, centralized login. They're becoming very competitive with a lot of the things that Microsoft's Active Directory and group policy and management tools offer. I think that's going to be long term, five, 10 years. That's the real competition to desktop Linux.
3: Yeah, I feel like, uh, in general that kind of where Windows is at right now is in a place of retention and that the future is more about kind of new emergent platforms and operating systems and the kinds of things that are going to make consumers happy, uh, aren't necessarily being served by Windows anymore. I had an experience actually, um, just a couple months ago where my mom gave me a ring and she was like, I need to print something and Uh, you know, can you help me? And I went and it was the whole thing of, you know, starting up the computer, waiting 20 minutes for it to finish doing whatever it was doing and then digging through tons of settings to try to find out how to add a printer. And that's something that you can do relatively easy in elementary OS. So for, for like everyday user tasks, you know, maybe that's not where Windows really even cares about being anymore. And they're just trying to retain their enterprise market.
1: Yeah, a period of retention. That's where they're in a retention strategy right now. That's where these different solutions come in is because they want to retain a very select part of the market, the developer market. And I think the reality is economics plus continued progress of Chrome OS are are really going to push this thing forward. If, If we went back, say, two years and you said to past self, hey, by the way, Chromebooks are going to be able to browse Samba servers on your local LAN and you'll be able to run desktop Linux applications on this thing. That you would go, wow, that seems like a massive amount of change to Chrome OS. And now here we are, all those things are they're real. And and that trajectory may continue. They may continue to make that operating system even more competitive. There could be a point in our future where one of us is getting daily work done on a Chromebook.
0: Right, Chris, the reason you're here is to tell us about how you nearly died. I might be being overly dramatic here, but a good friend of mine is a doctor and we were worried for a second, well, for a few days that you might actually not be back from this whole thing. So tell us about how you managed to get an inflamed uh, and then ruptured appendix, how the doctors didn't spot it, sent you to Texas, (laughs) and then you nearly died. Well, he doesn't need to now. You've told the whole story. It's brilliant. Right. Thanks, Chris. See you later. How is any of that possible? Surely, after a couple of days of being in agony, you would have gone to the doctors. They would have diagnosed
1: it, given you keyhole surgery, done. Yeah, one night, one night, good to go. You know, the the context and the background here is twofold. What number one is, you have to remember, uh, I'm dumb. I'm just, I'm, I'm stubborn and I'm dumb, um, and uh, I, it's all my fault. And then the other thing to remember is, I'm very grateful. If if I complain during this at all, I am very grateful to be alive. I am grateful for the people that kept me alive. So with those two context and background things, so I it all really started at the fair, at the Skagit County Fair. I I have had a couple of years of rocky health because I, I tend to overwork myself and then I kind of just get sick, which tends to manifest itself in my stomach. And so I went to the fair and I'm walking around. And I say, hey, you know what? I want a corn dog. I want a, I want a fair. If I'm going to come to the fair, I want a fair corn dog. And this was a period of time that was what I would call the home stretch for finalizing the Linux Academy and Jupiter Broadcasting merger. It was finalizing and assembling the new team for the first time, getting everybody—you know, first Joe came on board, and then and then uh, getting Wes on board and coordinating with Linux Academy and finishing up uh, the lawyer stuff for all the acquisition, and also planning for the announcement. Um, that was, it was a really, really, really busy period of time. And so I decided I got to start taking care of myself a little bit. I need to start going for at least two walks a day and I need to try to eat a little bit better because this is a lot of stress and I need to start taking care of myself. So I was doing pretty good, but I was at the fair and they had corn dogs. And I thought, you know, these are hand dipped corn dogs. I can't pass this up. I love a hand dipped corn dog. And so I get one and Hadia gets one and we're sitting there and we're 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 enjoying these corn dogs and it's a pretty mild evening. I by by about eight o'clock, eight p.m. I felt a little tired and so I, I went to bed around nine thirty, uh, put the kids down earlier than that, and then I just kind of crashed. I woke up the next day fine, but around lunchtime, Hadia had taken the kids to what we call the children's museum, which is like just a, a play area, uh, and I was doing some work, try to get everything caught up, and I started feeling. Pretty bad, like pretty sick. And within about an hour, I was throwing up about every ten minutes. And then uh, from that point on, for for about six days, I was throwing up about every every half hour. or So, and if I when I wasn't throwing up, all I could do was sleep. And I didn't I didn't really know what was wrong because it's not unusual for me to get a pretty severe stomach situation. And so I tried to push through it. Didn't realize also I didn't realize at the time I had a fever. So I tried to push through it, kept doing, did LAN a couple of times, did all the shows I've been doing. And thankfully, Joe was pretty patient. You know, if I had to take a break so I could die for a few seconds, then I could come back and do the shows. And I just thought, well, within a couple of days, I'll be through this. And so I didn't go to the doctor. And then about a week into it, I'm still pretty messed up. And about a week turns into two weeks. And I'm sleeping a lot. Basically, I'm either working, taking care of the kids, or I'm sleeping. And then... Things start to improve a little bit. I start to get a little bit better. I start to feel pretty good. I get a couple of blood tests done. I've I've seen a doctor by this point, and they've had blood work done. And I'm starting to feel pretty good, but my fever is getting higher, and my fever keeps going up. So after some deliberation, we decide, I got to go in the ER. They got to do more blood work. We got to figure out what's going on. So I go visit my local ER, which was a $400 charge, boom, right there. Just walking in the door, charged me $400. I, and they do the blood work, and they say, you know, after being there for about four hours, they come in the room, and they say, well, Mr. Fisher, your white blood cell count was 25000 um, and now it's down to 18000 and your fever, since you've been here, has gone down. So we think you are on the mend. And I said, great, well, I have to travel to Texas on Monday. This is a Friday. Am I clear to travel? Am I okay? Yeah, you should be fine. As long as the fever doesn't come back, you should be good. So uh, I leave thinking, all right, I'm on the mend. I'm still very tired. So I'm going to sleep a lot. And I, by this point, it's been about two weeks since I've eaten. Um, I've had a little bit of food, though. I've had some soup. And so I'm feeling a little bit better. I hadn't thrown it up. I'm doing pretty good. So I decide, okay, I'm good to travel to Texas. So this is a pretty important trip because I'm finalizing the merger announcement details, making sure that every all of the things that we want to contribute back to the community, that I have buy-off at all of the levels of Linux Academy and all these things. And on top of that, it's Wes's time to go down and do onboarding because he's now officially an employee, needs to go down and fill out all the HR paperwork, meet everybody, spend some time in the, at home base. So I I book a flight for Wes and I and we fly down there and I'm doing pretty good the first couple of days. Then on the on the on the Tuesday after LUP, it was kind of a it was one of those ball buster episodes where it was a grind all day long. And because we're in Texas, it was two hours later, so we were kind of tired by then. So Wes and I decided, let's go get a beer. So we head out to the bar and I was chatting with Joe at this time and I grabbed myself a drink and I had one beer and I'm like, okay, I'm feeling Fine, I feel fine. You know, I think I'm over my cold. I'll take a beer to go up to my room. So two beers total, nothing, ma- nothing too major. And I sip on that second beer throughout the rest of the evening while I'm working and stuff. The next morning, I wake up and I am jacked. I, I am something's not right. I can tell something's off. My fever is back. I am shit. and it's. Bear in mind, it's 95 degrees in Texas, and I'm shivering cold. And I, I go into the office, I get some work done. I bail about at lunchtime and go back and I sleep until the evening. I start telling Joe, I don't know what's going on, Joe. I think those beers really screwed me up. I, I'm having some sort of reaction. I, I don't know what's wrong with me. And I'm thinking it's just some sort of strange reaction to drinking beer because I'm such a dumbass. I'm so stupid at this point. I don't know. I was so locked in on the work. I was so focused on getting the work done. I'm in Texas. Wes is down there. We have things to do. I have videos to record. So I get myself uh, the next day back into the office and I get in there and I'm t- doing details. And they say, okay, well, let's go record our video. And I, I'm, what? Yeah, let's go record our announcement video. I'm like, okay, I got this, and I'm pretty out of it. I'm not feeling well. I'm feverish. This is the video where you look like you're dying. Yeah, where and it's in the announcement for it's the it's on their YouTube channel for the announcement. And I yeah. I I wanted to like, you know, maybe comb my hair, like, you know, I just I was not well at that point. And uh they we shot the video and I I, uh, I booked Wes's return ticket, got him all the information, and then I spent like the next two days basically sleeping. this point, I thought for sure, okay, something's definitely wrong. I probably should go to the hospital, but in my mind, I hadn't really, I hadn't really connected with the fact that I had health insurance because I'd only had it for about a week or two at this point. Because I, the beginning of this year, I had to drop health insurance because the budgets were so tight. So it wasn't really in my mind that regular medical care was available. Like emergency medical care was something I was prepared to, uh, to, to do. But like just going in to just check up on stuff didn't really compute. Like I, I had committed to not being able to do that anymore. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll sleep through this. And on, on Friday, Hadiya arrives in town for a romantic weekend. And if I'm not feeling well by Friday, we'll go in. And it, and it should be fine. So Hadia arrives for her romantic weekend, and she comes in at five a.m. and and we both sleep till like the late afternoon. And I've realized at this point that my hip is no longer working. I can't lift or move my right leg. My knee and my ankle is fine, but my hip has completely gone out, and it's painful. It's like I'm propping myself up with pillows. Like it is painful. I can't put my socks on. I can't get out of bed with that leg. I have to have idea move the leg or I have to move it myself. And so uh, I think, okay, this is pretty weird, but maybe it's because I've been sleeping so much that I slept on it wrong. That must be what it is, is I slept on my hip wrong.
0: Whereas in reality, what it was, was actual shit leaking out of yep. your large intestine into your abdomen and infecting the, the muscles yeah. in your stomach and oh my leg. God.
1: Yeah, and it was eating them away. Yeah, is what was going on. So that's what made me go into the ER. So I go into the ER. They come in after six hours. Well, Mr. Fisher, you have a ruptured appendix, and you've probably had one for a while now. And we have to take you into surgery, so we're going to take you up to uh, the the hospital. Uh, And and so that's when it sinks in that not only am I not leaving – but I'm going to be here for five days. Like Hadi is here for the weekend. I've got a I've got a rental car. I've got a hotel. I'm supposed to be doing other things for the launch. Tuesday is the announcement day, and you're telling me I'm going to be here for five days? That's insane! What? They bring me up to the they bring me up to the hotel. It's kind of like a hotel room, really. It's a hospital room, but it's a it's a nice private hospital room with te, with cable television and a view of Dallas, and it's not so bad. I get surgery the next day, and we're hoping it's laparoscopy. They just go and make a couple of holes, fix me up, good to go. I'll be out in two days at most turns out there was enough damage that they had to cut me open from basically my dong past my belly button. They just cut the whole thing open uh, and flayed it out so that way they could get in there and work it and clean it up and stuff. So I have this huge wound that uh, I wasn't really expecting. Like it was kind of mentioned uh we may have to do some extra cutting if there's if the infection was bad, but hopefully it'll just be a couple of holes. That that was that was the extent of what I was told. And then I wake up and I have I have the most grotesque-looking wound I've ever seen in my life because it's multiple layers into my stomach. It's a huge open wound. And I've never seen anything like this, and it's disgusting. And so then I get the news, you're going to be in here for five or six days until you start farting and pooping at minimum you're here. And for the next five or six days, every 15 to 20 minutes, somebody would knock on my door, and then come in the room. The chaplain, the housekeeping, the nurse, the head nurse, the lead nurse, one of the doctors, uh, anybody would just be coming through. The vital person that has to come check my vitals would come through the door every 15 minutes for five days. And the first thing they would ask me, how are you doing? Which, of course, I'm doing horrible. Stop asking me that. What's your pain level? And have you farted yet? (laughs) (laughs) I got asked if Lovely. I had farted probably 60, 70 times. Uh, it was, and <laughs> uh, and uh, people, just random strangers asking me about my bowels. Um, and so that was the big goal is Chris has got a fart. So we, we I'm, I'm, and I couldn't eat, couldn't eat. I'm five days into it, have not had. And mind you, I hadn't eaten very much except for those beers and a couple of meals. I had not eaten very much for three weeks. And now I'm in the hospital And I'm starting to get an appetite because it's been a while since I've eaten. And they won't let me eat until I fart and poop. And so five (laughs) days go by with not a fart. And on the fifth day, one of the largest farts of my life comes ripping out. And it was a celebrated moment, I'll tell you, because that meant I could order lunch. (laughs) It was hospital lunch, but I could order lunch. And I got a sandwich and it was good. So that, that process was totally unexpected. I had no idea what to expect. On the sixth day, they say, Mr. Fisher, we've got good news. We're going to get you out of here today. Oh, man, is this great? Oh, good, I think. I can get home before the weekend. Uh, even though we've been here for a week now, I can get home. This is great. They say the doctor's going to be by in about an hour. This is 7 a.m. Doctor's going to be by in an hour. He's going to take a look at that wound. Everything checks out. You're out of here. Oh, that is so great. 8 a.m. goes by, 9 a.m. goes by, noon, 2 p.m., 5 p.m. We're waiting for the doctor the entire time. And at this point, we're like, should we cancel the car? Do we need to get a hotel room? Hadia's like packing everything up and putting it all in the car. 7 p.m. comes. It's shift change time now. Where's the doctor? And I start getting upset. Where's the doctor? We need to get the doctor, call the doctor, Call the doctor. Hidea, go out there and make them call the doctor. And so, you know, the greasy wheel, I start playing the greasy wheel strategy or the squeaky wheel strategy to get greased. And they call the doctor. And The doctor says, oh, yeah, well, uh, just have the lead nurse go in there, pull the staples out, tape them up, and he's good to go. Okay, doctor, thank you. So that, that's what they waited for until 7.30 p.m. So the lead nurse comes in. And she starts pulling out these eight staples that are in my, my gut and down to my dong. And that was e- excruciating. They said it was going to pinch a little bit. It was excruciating as she took these staples out. And as she takes the staples out, the wound just reopened, just re right back open. And she essentially panics because she's never seen something like this before. It's really bad, and it's too big, and she can't tape it closed. So they call back the doctor. Well, they call the doctor, then he calls them back 45 minutes later while I'm just literally laying on the bed with my stomach filleted open. And they say, oh, yeah, yep, yeah, all right. Yeah, you're going to have to just uh, tape them up for the evening best you can, and I'll come look at it tomorrow. So they come back in the room. Sorry, Mr. Fisher, you're going to have to stay one more night. And so this point, I'm pretty upset because you can't sleep for more than 15 minutes. I was told I was going to be out there. I waited all day. My wound is awful. And so I start refusing services like, nope. I, I politely refuse to have my vitals checked. I will not have my vitals checked anymore. I do not want you to come in and, and ask me what my pain level. I refuse that now. So I, uh, like, and they were very good about it because they understood my situation. But I had to start, so that way I could just sleep through the night. It's like, if I'm going to be here, I'm going to sleep through the night. I sleep through the night. The doctor comes in in his, like, civvy clothes because he's he's just off, he's off duty. He takes a look at it. He says, oh, yeah, okay, geez, yeah, I can see. And I think she overreacted a little bit. He grabs this tape. He tapes me up. says, okay, yeah, be good. Just to be safe, uh, you know, take showers, let water run through it, and then just pack it with a wet-dry uh, mix and uh, put a wrap over it. You're good to go. Really? Oh, yeah, you're good to go. I'm like, well, what about flying? Oh, yeah, well, don't fly for three weeks. What? Don't fly for three weeks. You'll get a blood clot and you'll die. You've got these three things about your current situation that make you a perfect candidate to get a blood clot, so do not travel. I live in Washington, Seattle, Washington. I have to fly home. I have kids, I have work, I have a home. Like I got to take care of this stuff. Oh, he says. So he works with me on this regime where he writes me up this letter saying I can I can fly. He gives me um, a blood thinner and then he has me like scrunch my toes and get up and do stretches and walk around the airplane while I'm flying. It's a 4-hour flight. So I look at him I'm like how am I going to do that? He's like if you're going to fly you have to do that. So I book first class because I got to have the room. I booked the very first seat in the plane so that I have nobody in front of me. And it was a $1,400 ticket for Hadia and I. So that way I could do toe scrunches and stand up every 30 minutes and walk back and forth and sit back down like a lunatic. So I make the flight home. And we get into like actual mode of having to like fix this thing up. And it involves unwrapping me. I have several layers of wrap around me, like these bands plus a girdle like William Shatner, holding me together. And then in my wound is like paper stuff. It's, it's called an aqua mesh or something that's stuffed in there. And then she has to clean that out every day. She has to check for blood clots, clean up uh, blisters that I had reactions. I had horrible reactions to the tape that the surgeon used. Like I got these big, huge blisters all over my stomach. She has to take care of all of that every single day for multiple months now. We get here and they tell us, oh, yeah, it's going to be about a three-month process. What? Oh, yeah, about a three-month process. Uh, Yeah, just take care of the wound. Make sure you don't get an infection. Don't do anything like take a shower. What? The surgeon told me to take showers. Oh, no, absolutely do not take showers. So one doctor's telling me to take showers. The other doctor's telling me not to take showers. And it's like this with a lot of things. One doctor wants us to use a 40% mix hydrogen peroxide water on my wound and clean up dark spots. The other doctor doesn't want us to go anywhere near the wound with hydrogen peroxide. They don't agree on how to treat this thing. One doctor wants us to use a wet dry uh, mix. Another doctor wants us to use this fancy Pico suction pump. Like, it's they, none of them agree on any of this stuff. And so far, we're about a month into this now. And it's looking like I'm actually making a pretty decent recovery. Uh, I'm probably about three weeks away from actually having like skin back over the wound, which is incredible because they thought it'd be three months. So I'm, I'm, uh, very grateful for everything has done to take care of it. And then just that we've been trying to eat well as best we can and, and just avoid overworking myself, avoid hurting myself because the muscles are all screwed up in the area. My hips still all screwed up. Um, and they don't give me any painkillers because the opioid crisis is so horrible here in Washington state that uh, I can't get any painkillers. Texas, they, they would give me painkillers. But here in Washington, nope. Not unless I want to go immediately into an addiction management program. So I've been painkiller free for a month. And uh, I've been antibiotic-free, and I've been slowly re-ramping up my work uh, as the wound has kind of gotten smaller and smaller, and I have a little more mobility, and, a little, and I have more and more stamina. Like, I'm not sleeping during the days anymore, and my hip doesn't hurt as much anymore. So I'm pretty much on the path to being mended. It's, just, it's going as well as it can go. It's just a process now. And it, it has been a hell of an experience, and I've just begun to get a hint of the bill's. You know, just a hint, like I've, I've paid $1,000 so far, but it could be, I spent six days in a hospital, I spent, I took two ER visits, I got a massive surgery, painkillers, IV 24-7, and now the wound care specialist that I'm seeing is out of network, but they're, they're just the best, so I'm, I'm going to, the, to them. I, so it's going to be a phenomenal bill. I, some, some people are betting $100,000 around me.
0: Wow. But how much of the insurance is going to cover that?
1: So I'm not quite sure. Um, A good portion of it, hopefully. (laughs) In worst case, anything that's out of network, I pay 20% of. So we'll see. We'll see how much I pay because uh, it depends on how, and I didn't really have any choice in the matter. I get put in an ER and I get, you know, I get moved to a surgeon and then the surgeon refers me to a dermatologist. The dermatologist refers me to a wound care specialist. Like it's, I'm I'm not really able to elect unless I my all my options are I can go to somebody give them all my information find out that they don't bill my insurance, and then leave and go find another one and reset up completely. It's just, it's a horrible position. That's that's
2: quite an awful story to have to go through just to get a first-cost flight back from I know, right? Texas, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, and Hadia just wanted a romantic weekend. She just wanted to come down, go to Austin, eat some great barbecue, spend some time together, and then she was going to fly home. She ended up having to rework her entire schedule for a week and sleep on a couch while I was recovering. And we missed the announcement. We were going to announce it that Tuesday. I was going to do it on LUP. We were all set to go. User error was going to be able to go out a week earlier. And it all had to get bumped by a week.
0: Phones are big and stupid now. They're all giant with stupid notches. They've got no headphone jacks, no SD cards, no physical keyboards. All that's a distant memory. What the hell happened? Progress, Joe. It's called progress. Get over it. <laughs> progress. Oh man, this is obviously prompted by the new iPhones and it just got me to thinking about how just all phones, even Android phones, uh, just they've all got these notches and they're getting rid of headphone jacks. I mean, SD cards I can live with, physical keyboards I can live with, you know, disappearing, but the headphone jack, what's wrong with them? Like I use the headphone jack, I, I use Bluetooth every day and when my Bluetooth receiver thing dies, I plug my headphones in like a caveman. I'm not going to use a fucking dongle, so uh, I don't know. Uh, Chris, you've got a phone without a headphone jack. Like, how has life been since losing it?
1: It's been a while now because I um I'm part of just the i I just caved and I just went with the iPhone upgrade program. Um, I said, you know, I know myself well enough. I keep buying these phones that are way too expensive. So around the iPhone Seven, I just I just got the upgrade program, and so I've gotten every iPhone every year because it's it's fifty five bucks for the mid storage tier with Apple Care Pro Plus, I don't know, Apple Care Handjob Edition. It's supposed to be really fancy. And then as soon as they announced the new phone, the week that they ship, they send me one. And it's been since the seven that they took away the headphone jack. The first place I really I really felt it was when I was traveling, like on an airplane, and I wanted to just listen to an audio book and I didn't have headphones that I could use with my phone. And that was extremely frustrating. Uh, but over time, I ended up doing the, – the, I think the very thing that they want me to do is be a good little consumer, and I went out and I bought Bluetooth for my truck, and I got uh, I got wireless Bluetooth headphones, and now I have a vehicle that has a dash where I can plug in and I get CarPlay. So I now I, I just use a lightning port and I plug in, and I'm – you know, I've been a good little consumer, and over time I've replaced all of the things that were dependent on using a headphone jack – with wireless solutions or wired solutions through the lightning port. And so now here at the iPhone 10s which is th- 3 years, I don't know. Um I don't miss it anymore. It's not a problem. Uh, in fact, I haven't thought about the headphone jack for a very long time and that's even while flying or or driving like I just I really don't I don't miss it. Say and not to not to be this guy but same with the notch Tw- 20 minutes after using the phone I don't I don't even see the notch. I Again, I don't even think about the notch until it's brought up as part of a conversation, um, and so you do kind of adapt over time, and that's what they get. To, that's what they get to rely on. That's why they get away with it, is because you do make do.
2: I'm at the other end. Uh, I have a OnePlus Plus Three T, which has a headphone port, and I haven't upgraded, and I don't plan to upgrade because I don't want to. I don't want to have a phone that doesn't have a headphone port. Um, I use the headphones. Socket um every night when I go to bed, I plug my headphones in, put one in my ear, and I go to sleep, listening to either a podcast or an audiobook or something or the radio and um when I'm on a plane, I shove some crappy headphones in my pocket, and no dongle, I just pull my phone out, which is always in my pocket, plug the headphones in, stick them in my ears, and away I go so on the flight to and from Brussels last week, I was watching um Altered Carbon on Netflix, and if I hadn't downloaded those and and happened to have like the right dongle in my pocket, then I wouldn't have been able to watch that on the plane.
1: Yeah, but don't you just feel like an animal with that headphone cord all over the place, getting in your way? It's just it's barbaric. So, I, don't you almost want to go wireless anyways, just because that's so annoying?
2: No, because it's yet another thing
0: to charge up. Yeah, but the, the beauty of it is that's I have this wireless thing. I don't have wireless headphones. I've a wireless um, adapter, Bluetooth. Uh, I don't even know what you call it, really. It's um, a receiver, and um, it's got a mic on it and whatever. And so you just plug whatever headphones in. And so, yes, I do feel like a caveman plugging the cable directly into the phone. But at least I have that option when the Bluetooth thing dies. The other thing is I, I don't have a
2: car that has Bluetooth. So if I want to listen to audio from my phone, then I have to plug in a jack into the the aux port yep. on the radio, and I'm getting rid of that car, and I've got another car which has just arrived on my uh, driveway today, and it's another secondhand car, and that also doesn't have Bluetooth, and so I'm going to continue for years. So this whole like pushing you to you know buy into this, uh, I can't because I just I'm not going to buy a car just for the fact that my phone. You
1: know what I did in that situation is I got a very nice. It's the brand is Empow uh, Bluetooth receiver. That um, just plugs into my aux in jack, and my phone pairs with that, and it's it's pretty good. It supports the latest Bluetooth protocol, so it can do a decent job of compression, and it just immediately connects when I when I would start my truck. Now, it's not perfect because it's coming in through your aux jacks. You have to set your stereo to aux, and you can't really do uh, much integration with that. But it did really work well for me. Um, and now, now if you if you were to buy a newer vehicle, they, they you know with Android Auto, I know you guys recently talked about that on the Ubuntu podcast. Uh, that's uh, in my car. It's over a wire that's plugged in, and that also solves the problem. But there are ways to do it, like those little receivers. You can put them here yeah. and there, but it it involves fiddling. You know, you have to set up Bluetooth pairing. Yeah. You have to buy the device. You have to run the wires in your vehicle. So it's not ideal.
2: I'd be tempted to get one. We recently went on holiday and we had a hire car and the hire car had Bluetooth and that was it. The kids and my wife and I all paired our devices (laughs) with the stereo. So... people would take turns and the kids would argue about whose turn it was to play music like and be DJ for the journey and so I I can see the value but also I can see the utter frustration of me having to deal with my kids pairing with the the car and you know I I might I might try and see if I can get hold of one of those Bluetooth receivers that only allows one device to be connected and just make it my device and that'll
0: solve that problem yeah so Dan you're a desktop guy you don't really Um, I I don't know, I get the feeling that you don't really care that much about phones, but I mean, how do you feel about these new trends for giant phones with uh, notches and no headphones?
3: Um, I mean, as far as the headphone thing goes, I think I'm a little more on Chris's side of the story, uh... I have a car that's a 2010 and so it has a USB port and I just plug in with lightning there. Um, I do use the headphones, uh, at home sometimes when I'm talking on the phone and want to walk around, but I feel like I'd be fine with just keeping the lightning port dongle on my headphones if I really need it. I think I could, I think I wouldn't miss the headphone jack, but what really gets me is the size of the displays. I feel like they're like crazy huge. They don't really fit in my hand. Uh, I went into the Apple store, they actually the other day to look at the 10 uh, S and it's, it's a really nice phone and like the screen's really beautiful and I really want the new fast phone, but I'm still rocking the iPhone SE cause it fits in my hand. And I've had this experience a lot of times where, and especially um when I'm out with um my friends that are women is that they'll see my phone and then they'll pick it up and they'll go, Oh wow. Like this fits in my hand. You know, and they realize like, wow, phones used to actually fit in my hand. You know, I think we're just like selling phones for guys with giant hands now. I don't know what the deal
1: with that is. I don't know what the deal is either because I, I was waiting for someone, someone to come out with a smaller phone. I'm looking at one of the Sony Xperias right now because they have a Sony Xperia Compact that's about the right size for me and it's almost worth the switch to Android. I'm not a huge fan of Android, but I'm not married to iOS. I just want a phone that fits in my hands and the, the 10s is too big.
3: Yeah, I was really hoping for uh, a new update to the SE so that we could have a smaller form factor phone still. Well, I actually like the giant phones because
0: it's kind of my primary device. It's what I read news on and uh, plan shows and everything and talk to everyone and I just got used to using kind of two hands and doing the shuffle and everything and having a decent case means that when I drop it all the time it doesn't really matter. So I I think that the reason that they've got bigger is because for a lot of people it's not their primary computing device, it's their almost only computing device. And you know, being you know developers and it professionals obviously you used to working with giant screens i mean i've got a 27 inch 2k screen in front of me you know 1440p which i do my work on but the rest of the time it's nice to have a big screen you know it's big enough to watch movies and stuff like probably you talked about being on the flight to brussels watching all the carbon can you imagine doing that on an old school iphone 4 or something you'd be straining your eyes no, I probably did do. I, I, I'm almost certain I
2: did watch films on my iPhone 4 when I had one because I think the iPhone 4 and the 4S are the pinnacle of iPhone design. They were just <laughs> excellent. Like I loved the metal rim and the glass front and back. It was just a perfect thing to hold in my hand. And I'm not the kind of person who puts covers or bumpers on my phone. I have it completely naked aside from two googly eyes stuck on the back. Um, I have no. The googly eyes is a great idea because when you put the phone down on a desk, the camera doesn't touch the desk, which is really mm. handy. But I don't have a cover on it and, and so I and I do drop my phone because it is I am a clumsy oaf and I have small hands and these phones are too big. I I would prefer a smaller phone. My daughter has an SE as well and she loves it. Um but yeah, I'm a bit sad and I think she's a bit
1: sad. There's no update. I don't know about you guys, but I think for me what it is um is I've stopped playing with my phone as a tinkering device. Like my first phones that I really liked were the ones that I could replace the ROMs on. And I, I could try out different different ROMs, different app stores. I could try out different browsers and set them as the default. Uh, and then I, I sort of got dispassioned in that when I realized that they're always lagging behind Google proper, like the Google proper releases. And when you sort of shift your mindset to, well, that kind of puts me in like a pixel category and the phone sort of becomes less of a toy and more of a tool, it it just, it sort of becomes a little more boring. Like it's not that I don't consider it very important and it's not that I don't think about it a lot, but it's also, I find it less interesting than say a, a car or uh, maybe even a new kitchen appliance. Like it's just, it's just become ordinary and something I need but not something I'm, I'm really inclined to tinker with anymore. And I know Joe, you you know you still you're still flashing custom roms on your devices. so I probably sound crazy to you.
0: Well, yeah, I updated the rom today, got my OTA, so I am on whatever the latest security patch is. And uh, I've got the same phone as Poppy Three T, and he claims, you know, you do claim, don't you, that yours is faster than mine? Well, no, I, I claim that mine running uh, Oxygen OS is
2: faster than mine running Lineage. Yeah, um, uh. yours may be faster, but I I found lineage a lot slower. It was GPU was just stuttery and and awful, so I went back to
0: oxygen. Whereas I don't know, I just stick to lineage and minimal google apps and it's just fine i've never experienced the official rom
1: yeah i don't know see that 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 even that fussing there just sounds exhausting because i'm likely the kind of son of a bitch that would see the stuttering graphical interface cuz you you go in there and you turn off everything you turn off all of the effects you know you yeah. which i have done on android and i actually like it quite a bit too it's like the equivalent of going to classic mode in windows and you yeah. do that on android so it it sort of masks some of those gpu stuttering issues but if it's if it's to be seen i see it and it bugs me and i think why aren't these devices better why did i spend the money on this thing when i could have got something that doesn't i just i just get into the spiral of of frustration it's really kind of stupid and so i i just don't even have i don't i feel like i don't even have bandwidth now for that kind of decision tree i just i want to be able to spend the money on the device once or in my case mo- monthly. <laughs> and and then just know that for the 12 months that I have that device, it's going to be as close to flawless as this technology can get. And you're going
0: to say it, aren't you? What? You're going to say it. It just works.
1: It mostly does. <laughs> yeah. It really mostly does. You know, iOS is pretty boring and the iPhone is decent hardware, but it's nothing super exciting and It just, it it mostly works. None of this stuff works perfectly. None of it works great. It's all garbage. We should get rid of it all and run Linux on our phones. And if if you can't do it all in the shell, then you don't need to do it on a phone.